I want to talk to you today out of, out of the book of Revelation, of course, and I want you to turn with me to the fifth chapter. And what I want to tell you is something that happened to me this week that I think perhaps maybe all of you, it, it, it has occurred already. Uh, I am always a kind of a late bloomer anyways, and um, it just came to my attention so clearly that what our Lord is doing, and, and if you remember last week, I, I made mention about, oh, I made mention about Thomas. I made mention about the Lord appearing to the disciples in the upper room. I don't know if you remember or not, but anyways, he, he did, and, and Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if you remember that or not. But he wasn't there, and when they said to him, Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He is risen. Do you remember his response? That's why he has the name, or we have the name Doubting Thomas. He says, no, no, listen. Uh, basically, he says, look, unless I can see him with my own eyes, and I can put my fingers into the wound in his hands, and my hand in the wound in his side, I I'm not going to believe. Basically, he's saying, I've had it. I've had it with all of this roller coaster ride that we've been on and this faith of ours he's alive he's not alive and then and then he's going to have this kingdom and then all of a sudden they 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 capture him they put him on trial and they beat him to a pulp they beat him beyond recognition then they crucify him they nail him upon a cross and he's dead and they said no no thomas he's alive he said i don't know so what does our Lord do? You remember the story. Just a few days later, he appears to them back in the upper room, but this time Thomas is in the room. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Thomas, be not unbelieving, but be a believer. Put your finger into my hands. Put your hand into my side. Be not unbelieving, be believing. And then Thomas goes and says, Oh, my Lord and my God. And I say to Thomas, Big deal. Big deal. I mean, yeah. Who wouldn't believe? And then our Lord says, mentions you and me in the Bible. He says, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe? He says, Blessed are those who have never seen me and yet believe. That's us. And it came to, to me almost like a, like a rush this week while studying out of this fifth chapter of how much this book wants to assure the reader as to who is the one that is in heaven itself that is seated upon the throne, who is about to take the scroll, the book, out of the hand of him who is on the throne. And I believe over and over and over again, John wants to assure us that it is Jesus Christ who he is talking about. He wants to assure you and me, who have never seen, that we can see through our eyes of faith, that the one in whom we have entrusted our eternal soul is none other than the one who will give eternal life. If you recall, you're in the book of Revelation, you're at the fifth chapter, but turn back. Look back at chapter 1. Let's refresh ourselves because it's so important. In verse 10, John says in chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Well, we learn later that one who is like the sound of a trumpet appears to him again, but this time in heaven. So it says in verse, verse 12, John says, I turned and I, to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned I saw, and then he goes on to explain what is, as I've said to you before, basically the unexplainable. He's trying to share with us something that he has never seen before. And he's trying to explain to us the unexplainable risen Savior. I believe it's as though, as we went from there to chapters 2 and 3, if you recall, and we studied about the churches. And, and we saw the churches that fell short of what they ought to be, and, and some churches that, that did, it, did it right. And, and I said to you with, with confidence that I believe we're trying, at least here at this church, to do it right. We, we center our hearts and our thoughts and our minds purely upon the Word of God. We have no agenda other than for you and me to know what's written within these pages and, to, and then to fall in love with the one that we see named Jesus Christ. And I think we're doing it pretty good. And after chapters 2 and 3, then in chapter 4, if you remember in verse 1, after these things, in other words, after seeing, seeing uh, the risen Savior on the, on the island of Patmos, and after explaining about the churches, after these things, in chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, Behold, there was a door standing open in heaven. And that first voice, remember he said that voice I heard in chapter 1, verse 9 and, and, and 12? That first voice, like the sound of a trumpet, spoke to me and said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. And so we are there. We are now in the very presence of God. And it is this, as if God has walked up into the upper room and allowed you and me to take a look at him through our eyes of faith. And he wants to assure you and me that he is exactly who he said he was. And he is going to take control and of, of everything that there is on, in heaven and on earth. And, and this is perhaps one of the great, great, great places in all of Scripture, chapter 5. We're going to see one of the many paradoxes found within the Word of God. We're going to see, John is going to explain the unexplainable is Jesus Christ as a lion as well as a lamb. And so let's take a look at the wonders of what John saw when he looked upon the throne room of God Almighty. Read with me, please, all of chapter 5. Now, I recognize last week we went through verse 6. We're not going to go over that again, but I want to kind of read it in its, in its whole so you get a sense of what John is seeing here in heaven itself. Read with me verses 1 through 14 of, of Revelation chapter 5. John writes, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And he says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? John writes, No one in heaven, nor on the earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book or to look into it. And so I began to weep greatly, John says, because no one was found worthy to open the book nor to look into it. 
One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion, that is, from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. John says in verse 6, And I saw between the throne, with the four living creatures, and the elders, a lamb, standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11, John says, And I looked, and, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I'm telling you folks, this is some place in the Word of God. This is as, as much as of an assurance of who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ as any place you'll ever read or study. And for those of you who are, 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 are still investigating what is this thing called quote-unquote religion, or what is this thing that gets, gets these people so excited about Christianity, this is the place you must listen because this is the place that our Lord is trying to convince you beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is exactly who He says He is. And there is but no other way. No other way. Before I pray, I want to say that this week I had the privilege of, of doing what I, I really don't like doing much, and that's making a hospital call. But this case, it was a friend of my mom's and my dad's, an elderly woman, of course, her husband, Joe, was my father's best friend, as far as I remember. He used to tell me things about my dad that just was phenomenal. And he loved my dad. And boy, did he love my mom. He always thought if he got there first, he would have had her. My dad met her at a picnic. They went to a picnic together, and my dad saw him, my mom. And he went and rushed up and asked her to dance. And Joe said he was just, just behind him. He was going for the same one. And he said, your dad got your mom. I've always been jealous. He was just a sweet man that loved my family. And his wife was lying on the bed dying. And, and her three daughters were there. And I, uh, I looked at them and I shared with them how much I was jealous of their mom. 
cry. I wish that was, could trade places with her and go to be with the Lord soon. It was evident she was going to die. Sure enough, she died later that, that day. I asked them if they understood what I meant when I said that because it was kind of my lead-in to, to talk about the Lord. That the only reason I would want to trade places is because I know for, for beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was going to go to heaven and be with my Lord and not because of anything good that I've ever done but because of the goodness of my Savior. And all three of them confessed that they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as well and I was really at peace with that. I felt great about that. But the fact of the matter is, folks, after reading and studying this place in chapter 5, I'm not a martyr here. I don't want to die really that soon. But boy, I would love to go be with the Lord. I would love to be and see this scene. I would love to be one of those voices that yells out. And, and you'll note it was a loud voice. There's a lot of Anthony's up there. I'll tell you that. We'll all be shouting out how much we love the Lord. Now let's see who they're shouting out to. And I think you will be convinced as me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, of this one that we see here in this great book, this great chapter. Actually, chapters 4 and 5, there, there really is a, it's an unfortunate separate, separation of chapter 5. Chapter 4 and 5 should be all one. One complete story of what John saw when he got up into heaven himself. And so pray with me, please. Father, if ever there was a time for me to ask you, it would be this time. Would you please move me aside? Would you please, Father, take control of this message? Would you allow us to hear from your heart, not from me? Please, Father, move me aside. Let us hear the wonders of who your Son is and how you've given all authority and all power and everything to him because of, of his faithfulness to give of his life for the forgiveness of our sin. Oh, Father God, please, bless this time. As it says in the book of Psalms, Father, would you open our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. But more importantly, Father, will you please lead us? Would you please, Father, teach us as only you can. I pray. I pray these things in the most powerful name that is upon heaven and earth and everything that's underneath. The name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's a symbol that we see here in this place. There's a symbol of, of a lion and a lamb. Both of them the same person. Remember in verse 5, one of the elders, now I've taught you already, and I believe this is true, but again, we write this in pencil, right? I, I, one of the elders, and I believe the elders, as we're going to see later, there's 24 elders. That number, as I said to you before, 24 means the complete, the whole. I believe the elders are the church from the day of Pentecost when, when, when Peter preached his message in Jerusalem and 5,000 people came to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. That, that was the start of the church age until the Lord calls us to go home to be with him in heaven when he raptures the church. And I believe the elders are the church, you and me, in heaven itself, experiencing, experiencing this. And so one of the elders came to John and said, Don't weep, John. Stop weeping. The lion, which is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. And we learn in chapter 3 that Jesus Christ, as well as us, overcame. 
And he says, it is he who is able to open the book and its seven seals. And then John says, I looked and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures. In verse 6, I'm reading out of. He says, with the four living creatures and the elders, I saw a lamb standing as if slain. Again, it's, it's almost impossible for him to ex- describe what he has seen. So he says uh, he, he had seven horns and seven eyes, and, uh, which are the seven spirits of God which are out into the whole, going out into the whole earth. And I will try to explain that to you in a moment. But let me just say this. If Jesus Christ did not choose to die for our sins, if he did not choose to be the sacrificial Lamb of God, then he could not have become the victorious lion out of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The victorious lion who is the one who is worthy to take the book out of the right hand of the Father and to open it. Therefore, without question, who we are looking at now is Jesus Christ, the Lamb, standing as if slain. Now John says he saw him between the throne. The literal, literal translation of between the throne means in the middle of. He's this Lamb who is standing as if he were slain with the four living creatures and the elders is Jesus who is between or in the middle of. That means he is the very central figure of this scenario. He is the one who is going to be worshipped and praised. He is standing in the very place of power and authority. As I mentioned to you last week, it is here in chapters 4 and 5 that the transition of power takes place. And it is without question that Jesus Christ is now the head of all things. The statement that he is standing indicates that he is ready for action. Now, we are going to see, starting with chapter 6, it is not going to be a pretty picture of what is going to take place on this earth. You need to know, from, from now on, we are going to be on a bumpy road. As we look at what is going to take place, the judgment of God that is going to fall upon this earth. And so he is standing ready for action because next week, or in chapter 6 I should say, we will see that action start to take place. John writes in verse 6 that he looks as though he were slain. You see the scars from the deadly wounds of this lamb the scars that Jesus Christ received before he went to the cross, when he was beaten beyond recognition, and then when they took him and they nailed him to the cross, and then he died upon the cross. Those scars from all those wounds were clearly visible. Yet, he's alive. You know, the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29, ring so loud and clear to me at this point. Remember when when John the Baptist was by the Jordan River, and, and, and he saw Jesus Christ walking towards him. You remember what he said to the, the people that were there to, the, the, to be baptized? He said, Behold, who was it? Behold the what? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of this world. John made that proclamation of Jesus Christ when he saw him walking towards him. Think. Think with me for a moment. 
How did Jesus, the Lamb of God, take away the sins of this world? As John proclaimed, of course, it was through his death upon the cross, as if slain. But we know he rose from the dead three days later, and, and, and he wasn't slain, not at all. He is forever alive. And so John says, I see him standing as if he were slain, but he's not. Now here in verse 6, we, we see some strange characteristics of this lamb. I, I believe it's very hard for John to try to explain to us. And, and I'm going to try with all of my heart to tell you, what does seven horns mean? What do the seven eyes, eyes mean? What are the, the seven spirits of God that have been sent out into all the earth? What do they mean to us concerning this one who we saw standing in the very center, in the very middle of the throne room of God? Well, first and foremost, the number seven represents the fullness or the completeness. It is the number that means completed. When Jesus Christ appeared to the disciples after he was resurrected on the mountain there in Galilee, he was in his resurrected state, and he said to them, all, or full, or complete authority, all authority has been given to me, Jesus Christ said, in heaven and on earth. And so he has seven horns, seven eyes, complete authority. In verse 6, the word for horn represents within the word of God authority and power. Now, there are a number of places that I could have chosen. I chose just for one, Psalm 18.2, to verify. In Psalm 18.2, it says, The Lord is my rock, and He is my fortress. He is my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I shall take refuge. He is my shield. He is the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. Horns represent, God's, within God's word, authority and power. He also, as it states in verse 6, has seven eyes, which speaks of the fullness of his vision. In other words, his omniscience. He knows and sees all. Nothing escapes his sight or nor his authority. That's intimidating, is it not? It is for me. I, I'm, I, am, I must confess to you that that's so intimidating that it, it says our Lord sees everything we do. He sees it all. I wrestle with that because I fall so short of what I want to be as a man of God. I was studying once quite a while ago and I came across one of the commentaries I was reading from Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Dr. McGee wrote in one of the commentaries I was reading that he said, I've never been the husband that I wanted to be. He says, I have never been the father that I had hoped to be. He says, I've never really been the preacher that I desired to be. But he said, I am the man of God that God has called me to be. What he was saying was, he had fallen short in his estimation of everything that he had before him. I, I relate to that. I'm, I'm not a guy that sees things half empty. I'm a guy that sees things empty, empty. It's not fun for Kay to live with that. Because she sees everything is full. But I relate to what Dr. McGee said. I've never thought I've been 
the man that God called me to be. I've never felt like I was the pastor or the father or the whatever. But I do recognize this about myself. I recognize that I have a Savior that loves me in spite of myself. And I believe that God wrote 1 John 1, 9 for me, and you guys can use it if you wish. <laughs> but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He sees all. And yet he loves you and me. So much so that he was willing to die for you and me. Also in verse 6 we see that he possesses the seven spirits of God that is sent out into the, all the earth. You see, this one who is full of authority, seven horns, the one who is complete omniscient, seven eyes, sees everything, also has the seven spirits of God, that, which speaks of his judgment. I mean, you only need to turn back just a chapter, just to chapter 4 and verse 5, and we see what it means to have the seven spirits of God. Listen, listen to verse 5 in chapter 4. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning, John wrote, and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This speaks of God's coming judgment upon earth and sin. The seven spirits of God describe the Holy Spirit in all of His fullness as He goes out into all the earth. And for what reason? What does the Holy Spirit go out into all the, reason, all the earth we are told clearly, please, I'm going to ask you to turn one time, and this is it. I want you to look with me at John chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the Gospel John. Hold your place in Revelation chapter 5. Turn with me, please, to, uh, to John chapter 16. I want you to read what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and what is his job description, if you would, here on this earth. Why does he go out unto all the earth? Well, I'll tell you why. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, he is speaking to his disciples, it is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away. Because he says, if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But, he says, if I go, I will send him to you. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, here's his job description. He is going to convict the world concerning sin, and righteousness and judgment. Three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then John, Jesus does, explains what does that mean concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Well, he says in verse 9, he explains concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. I stopped there and I thought, what is the greatest sin in all the world? Is it, is it someone who murders? Is it someone who steals or, or is deceitful or gossip? No, none of those. The greatest sin in all of this world is unbelief. And listen to this, please. Unbelief is the only sin that there is no remedy for. Every other sin is forgiven. Unbelief, no remedy. If you choose not to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're as lost as the worst of the worst sinner that you can imagine. In the book of John, Jesus says, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. That's the worst sin 
Well, what about righteousness? Well, concerning righteousness, he says, because I go in verse 10 to be with the Father and you no longer see me. Jesus Christ returned to the Father because he completed all that needed to be done by himself on the earth. When he was on the cross, he, 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 he shouted out for everyone to, to hear to tell us die. It is, it is finished. I, I'm, I'm done. I've completed what I needed to do. And then he gave up his soul, it says, his spirit, excuse me. He died. And when he died upon the cross, he, when his work was completed, he went to be with the Father. And in so doing, we then receive his righteousness. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul says, I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, which is derived from the law. In other words, I can't do enough good things to have enough righteousness. But he says, my righteousness is of faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You and I are right before God, not because of what we do, because, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And he went to be with the Father. And in so doing, you and I receive the righteousness of God, of his Son, based on our faith. If we have any standing before God, we must have it through Christ in his righteousness, not our own. And then in verse 11, he says concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world, Jesus says, has been what? Has been judged. You'll know that that is in past. It is done. It is Fate complete, I guess you would say. It is over with. Simply put, judgment has come to Satan in this world and they have already been judged. Many people try to live their lives as if we're on trial, as if we can do enough good to compensate some of the bad we've done. And for those of you who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know you are not on trial. You are already declared guilty. The only thing that will move you out of that is to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and receive His righteousness so that you will not be judged. Truth of the matter is this. We live in a world that has already been judged. It's like that movie. I, I think it was called Dead Man Walking. When, when, when I guess the, the premise is when, when they're on death row and they're walking down the the, the, the road to go to the, the electric chair or whatever way uh, they're going to be, um, be put to death, that the people on death row would say, dead man walking, dead man walking. It's a fait accompli. It's over with. And Jesus says concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has already been judged John goes on to say, look at John chapter 16, look at verses 12 through 15, because it, it, it tells us where we are here in, in Revelation chapter 5. In verse 12, Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but I can't bear them, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me, Jesus Christ says. He will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. Now look at verse 15. All things 
that the Father has are mine. You see, this in verse 15 is the exchange of power that we are experiencing here in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And so, in verse 7, please turn back with me to Revelation chapter 5, and please turn with me and look at verse 7. To complete this authority and power given to the Lamb, we see the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, come to the Father and take the power held by the Father unto Himself, unto Jesus. Look at verse 7. He came and He took it, the book, out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And people, it is right here, verse 7, that we see the exchange of power and authority. From the Father to the Son, just as the Father said would happen, He has now given all authority to the Son. In John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Not even the Father judges anyone. He has given all judgment to the Son, and the Son has declared you and me, once we have trusted in Him, as not guilty forgiven. Our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west, and he says he'll remember them no more. This is such a great place in Scripture. This is the place that, that you and I have been hoping for, dreaming for, longing to, to find within the Word of God. Our, our salvation is secure. It's assured. So what would you expect to happen after this? Look at verse 8. We see the four living creatures, the angels and the 24 elders, all fall down. That's the church. They all fall down before the Lamb in worship and in prayer and in praise of His holy and righteous name. And it says in the end of verse 8, we all have a harp and golden bowls of, full of incense that are the prayers of the saints. You know, I used to always laugh when it says we'd play harps in heaven. Maybe we will. It says we'll each have a harp, but doesn't say we'll necessarily be playing it. Maybe the Lord's heard me try to strum an instrument. It ain't going to happen, I don't think. In reality, in the traditional instrument in, the, in, in worship throughout the, the Word of God is the harp. It is, the psalm calls the harp a, a lyre, L-Y-R-E, an instrument used to worship God. And, and incense speaks of the prayers of us. Psalms 141 verse 2 says this, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. And so in verses 9 through 14, they break out into a new song, it says. Isaiah 42 8 states, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing His praises from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, and you islands and those who dwell on them. In other words, everyone, sing this new song unto the Lord. And why? Well, it says in verse 9, because He is worthy to open the book and break open its seals. Why is He worthy? Look at verse 9. If you want an assurance of who it is that is opening these seals, look. Because he was, verse 9, slain, and he purchased with his blood all mankind. From where? From every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, from every nation. I mean, come on now. Who is this one 
that we worship called Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And all people everywhere, there is no exception. They are from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And He makes us a kingdom, priests, to our God. And we'll reign with Him upon this earth. And so in verses 11 through 14, John becomes aware all of a sudden that every single person is singing and praising and worshiping the Lord. Verse 11, it says, The numbers of them were myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands. In other words, there were just too many to count. All of us saying, no, with a loud voice, our boy Anthony, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, Glory, blessings. And then in verse 13, John says an amazing thing. He says that every created thing, whether it be in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or on the sea, all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessings and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. It appears that every creature, everything is involved in praising this one who sits on the throne and also to the Lamb. Romans tells us that one day the whole creation will praise Him. Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. People, verses 11 through 14 speaks of both the universal lordship of Jesus Christ and the universal redemption given by God through the Lamb which was slain. That is, salvation is given to everyone and anyone who will believe in God's plan. Not our plan. Not some other plan. Not some, some cult or, or some, some religious group that believes maybe not Jesus, maybe it's Allah or someone else. No, no, no. No, every tongue, every nation, every single person must worship the one who is, was slain, who gave of his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. I'm sure this is the fulfillment of, of Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. We are told Jesus, being found in the appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, because he went to, to die on the cross, God highly exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed upon him the name which is above every single name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee will bow, those who are in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in verse 14, we see the four living creatures keep saying, Amen. In other words, so be it. And the elders fall down and they worship the one on the throne and the Lamb. I feel it's very important to just add this. Note that the praise goes out in verses 13 and 14 to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John, being a devout Jew, was a lifelong monotheist. Meaning, he could and would only believe in one God. The Bible says in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. Yet, in verses 13 and 14, we see both the Father and the Son share equally in the divine worship and praise given by the angels, the four living creatures, and the saints, the church, the elders who are in heaven. 
Worship that ought only be given to God and worship that ought only be received by God. Yet we see here, without excuse, John shows both the Father and the Son glorified, worshipped, and honored as God in heaven. And so in part, we see our Christian theology The whole idea of one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John does not reflect upon this truth, nor does he explain it. It's like in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God doesn't take it upon himself to to explain to you and me where he came from and who he is and anything else about himself. He just says, in the beginning I created the heavens and the earth. Deal with it. And here he says, we are honoring both God the Father and God the Son One God in three persons. And John does not reflect upon this truth, nor does he explain it. He simply records it for you and me to see and to believe. It's the wonders of our God. It's the beauty of the one that we've fallen in love with. It is the one that you and I should long, long, long to see. And it is the one that we should live for while we have breath. To represent him on this earth the best we can by loving our families, our wives, and our husbands, and our children, and our parents, and, and our friends, and our neighbors, and just to love. And with that in mind, I want to tell you how much I love you. It's such a privilege to be a part of this church. It's such a privilege to dedicate your grandchild. It's such a privilege to know that that you people long to hear the word of God. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you allow us to see your son as never before. John has done a brilliant job explaining him, Father, as best he knows how. And what we have seen, Father, is we've, we've just seen the very essence of what you said you would do with your son. And what your son said you would allow him to do, and that is to take full authority and full power of this earth. He is the one that we are to worship. You have given him that. And so, Father, we do. We worship your son. We, we give you thanks, Father, for giving us your son so that we might experience everlasting life because of, of his substitutionary death for us upon the cross. Thank you, Father, so much. We ask and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.